0: Take a moment to introduce to you our speaker today and give him as much time as possible. You probably got the email from me this week that we'd be adjusting things, so you should have been prepared. I was able to meet Brad and Beth through some faithful friends of mine, namely the Davenports and the Johnsons, and just their ministry in um, our least access area of missions. Uh, for a while, they oversaw much of our GO team, and they just introduced me to Brad and heard his story, and I'm so thankful they did that, um, because it, it really is just, a, it was a, an awakening moment into what God can do through just normal people, and I mean as a compliment to you and Beth. You know, I was expecting to meet like a celebrity or like a superstar, but they were just a lot like us, and yet the story they told, I was like, wow, God, God wants to reach people who've never heard. And he, he uses just normal people like, like you and like me, like Brad and Beth. And so I've got to know them over the last few years, and I've just really been impacted by their love of, uh, of missions, especially in areas that have yet to hear of the name of Christ. And so they would have a special ability in those areas, a special interest in those areas. And our kind of strategy uh, we would say okay, that's the, what we call the least accessible part of our of our missions philosophy. You know, there's kind of six areas. By the way, of those six areas, currently 66% of our partner funds go to that area. And so that is a very hard area to access. There's uh, it, it's very difficult. Not everyone should do it. We see great um, reason to make sure we we. We put some emphasis there. Other areas matter, other partners matter, no doubt, but we also know that a lot of the world's population is in those areas, a lot of unreached people. Currently, half our partners are in that, fun, that part of the funnel as well. So I think you see at First Family a, a desire, not just for missions in general, we, do, we believe in that, but also for areas that have never heard. And Brad's specialty is in that area. That's what Radius does. He'll tell you more about that. That's where Nick and Jenna are as well. They'll be there, I think. Are they? They are right there, okay. <laughs> And so that's where they are. And so this week, as we close um, Missions Month, I want you to hear Brad's story. And here's how I've been praying this month. You know, some months we pray that God would mobilize all of us to be senders, prayers, mobilizers, givers, goers. But I'm just going to be really just uh, incredibly transparent. I'm just praying that God will raise up some more goers. I don't think all of you should be goers, Brad wouldn't either. But there are some that should go to the very kinds of places he's going to tell you about this morning. I'm just praying that God would use this week to raise up a few more that would make a difference somewhere that's never heard the name of Christ, you know? So, Brad, this is a great group of people. Love them to death, and you'll you'll love them too, I know. Come share your story with us, Brad Buzer. Help me welcome him to First Family, (laughs) would you? Really glad you're here. (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we got uh, Nick and Jenna, and Beth and I drove out of Tijuana. Uh, Friday. And uh, man, just again, we get to rub shoulders with incredible people that have given their lives, coming from communities like yours. Uh, My wife and I drive that drive out of Tijuana. We live in San Diego. And uh, we we pinch ourselves. Man, the people that we get to interact with that have uh, walked away from wonderful lives uh, based on really only the words of the Lord Jesus. That he desires to to be known and worshipped among every tongue, tribe, and nation. I'm reading the logos out there. I'm reading the stuff here. And uh, man, what a privilege just to be with you guys who are getting it. And, uh, man, last night, uh, I'm not sure how many of you are aware, but uh, some of your leadership team met and asked some excellent questions to Nick and Jenna just so that they could really understand and then communicate that to the rank and file here, uh, their church body. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of missionaries in training down at Radius. It's rare that they have a supportive a church as what you guys have demonstrated yourselves to be. So I just want to commend you. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, I am praying, as Todd mentioned just now, I'm praying that there will be a few more from you guys uh, that have uh, thought about missions. Maybe it was a Sunday school years ago. Maybe it was through a message. Maybe it was your own study of God's Word. And, uh, man, you, you, you know, and, and I, do, I do want to bring some clarity to this, some, some of the point of this. There are this morning... Around 3,130 languages on this planet with nothing of the gospel. Not a verse, not a church, not a missionary. They have no access. They can't hike 500 miles and find it in their language. That's the challenge before the church today. The words of the Lord Jesus, man. therefore go and make disciples of all nations, have in focus. And I know you guys know this, the word nations that Jesus is talking about is not go to New Guinea where we went, or Indonesia, or Somalia, or Afghanistan. That's not the word that Jesus had in mind, that's not the concept. He had in mind there that word nation in the Greek means "taetne," which is the, the ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. And the number one component of ethnicity, if you ask anybody who goes to Iowa State University, Southern California, if you know anything about uh, anthropology, the number one component of ethnicity, language. God has a thing about language. That's why he talks about it there in Revelation 5-9, Revelation 7-9. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, he's into, he wants to be worshipped in every language on the planet. Where do you get into dialectical differences? How far does that, guys? I, I know that doesn't answer every question, but let's understand this: that there are today. Right around 3,100 languages with nothing of the gospel. Man, to, to interact with Nick and Jenna. and got Nick and Jenna, but my wife Beth, come on, stand up over there. Most of you guys know who they are. Beth, stand up. That's my wife. Yeah, Jenna, stand up. Yeah, she hates us. I'll get this on the neck. Okay, so yeah. Uh, man, to get to interact with people that are giving their lives to actually take one of those language groups off the list. We love it. We love what we get to do. Uh, I want to share uh, some of our story. Beth and I, uh, we met when we were uh, kids. Uh, She was 18, I was 19. And uh, she'd given her life to take the gospel, had never been. She came from a godly family. I had a youth pastor. I got saved when I was a senior in high school. And uh, living my life for what I wanted to do, Uh, got saved, and he taught us God's word. Uh, we called him the youth pastor from hell because nobody really liked him. We had a huge youth group, and he was not affirming us. He was not ke- making friends out of us. He was not going to coffee with us. He was challenging us to lay our lives down to take the gospel where it never been before. There was a constant outflow. We had a we had a regular sized church, to be honest with about three four hundred people. We had a youth group of five hundred to a thousand uh, because of. <clears throat> I see you, That's the high school guys. And uh, again, that guy's audacity, his courage, his clarity in the word of God to send out laborers. We didn't know short-term missions existed. I'm not against short-term missions. He just made a decision. I'm not telling my youth group about it. My kids are going to give their lives they're going to give their lives. And so as a senior in high school, I got saved. Three months later, I took an application to career missionary service. I had no idea what I was even getting into. Scared to death. <clears throat> I didn't even know the word call existed. Uh, I was going because my youth pastor, through the word of God, put me in a hammer lock and slammed me to the mat and I tapped out. Okay, uh, what am I going to do? I'm a Christ follower. This is what Christ followers do. And uh, uh, graduated from high school, went off into four years missionary training, met my wife. She was dating my roommate, That didn't work out. Uh, They broke up. I moved in. And uh, a couple weeks after that, we were married. A couple weeks after that, we had our first child. Two weeks after that, we had our second child. We're on our way to Papua New Guinea. Never been there. Never been on a short-term missions trip in my life. Going to Mexico was not a short-term trip. That's 20 miles from where I grew up. Okay. Uh, So uh, anyway, so got on the airplane. Terrified. Terrified. I'm 23. She's 22. We had two little kids. Never been to New Guinea. Uh, She had parents. I had a youth pastor we knew God's word that God does want to be honored among every tongue tribe and nation and uh on that island over 860 languages first thing we had to do when we arrived in new guinea was to learn the language of the country which is melanesian this what taught me when we were coming now me took piss I and supposed to put in kupa yalunga bainopaha that's a thing away hallelujah got plenty below you believing come up long this for lap that's a bianba going to happen i looking bepera and arasan kan kan pipin stuff and say go ya blow you and bainoplo working too and that's the first language that you're going to learn when you get to new guinea just like nick and jenna to learn in indonesian bahasa and, uh, and, and that's just what it takes. Uh, so you can function, you can get in and out of the offices, and then uh, government offices, keep your visa good, and all that other stuff. And then we moved interior. And obviously, I'm talking fast, because we do got a clock back there. And if they take that clock down, I'll slow down. Uh, but uh, <laughs> got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So turn the hearing aid on fast, OK? Uh, we, uh, we were looking at people groups. Uh, there were invitations uh, from some of these interior languages in New Guinea. Uh, New Guinea is a big island. It's, uh, it's bigger than California. So on the interior of New Guinea, we were living on the coast. Uh, there were numerous people groups that were asking for somebody to come and help them. And uh, I made a few trips, and we made a decision. We're going to work among these guys called the Itedi people. They were almost dying out. There were so few of them. They lived in the swamps. Uh, they had an infant mortality rate of about 65%. And uh, my wife would go in and do medicine for them. When we finally moved in, I built a house. Uh, we, we cut down uh, coconut trees and uh, to use the bark. Of, they look like coconut trees, it's not actually. Uh, to used the bark of the coconut tree for the floor of our house. We took the leaves of the coconut tree, and that's what we used for the uh, roof of our house. Uh, I cut down a big chunk of jungle, helicoptering my wife back into the jungle. Uh, and uh, she told me the next morning, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Please, no. But uh, uh, we had a baby uh, and uh, uh, built an airstrip, began to learn their language. First languages are relatively easy. You have books, you have headphones, you have instructors, you have a controlled environment. The next language, the next language for Nick and Jenna, will be immeasurably more difficult than the first language. Uh, There's no books. There's no headphones. There's no instructors on how to do these things. Uh, It's a physical endeavor too. I was gone from my wife days and weeks at a time uh, learning and living with the Itedi people in the jungle. I'm not cut out for that. They're the, the tallest guy there is 5'4", okay? They're little guys, okay? Uh, I can't shrink down too much here, okay? I was, you know, I, I was down 152 pounds, which I've been at in, since junior high. Uh, it, it's a physically grueling endeavor to master the second language, and we began into that in late 1980. Finally, 1985, I was cleared. It uh, took calendar-wise a little over four years uh, to become fluent in their language and culture. That's a critical component, folks. If we want, if we care about clarity of the gospel, we must care about fluency. Man, God isn't. We never seen the Word of God Him working through interpreters. Uh, man, these are things that man. His His ambassadors have always been highly capable communicators. And uh, so we needed to be that, too. Finally, we were able to be at a spot where we could begin sharing the gospel with the Teddy people. Uh, we'd given, I'd given my life to do that back in 1972. Finally, 1985, we were in that spot, living among them, having lived among them. Uh, they'd seen our scars. They saw us and our kids all get malaria and hepatitis and dengue fever. They, you earn the right to share the gospel. Just living there, just making trips interior does not give us the right. Uh, we speak from our scars, And uh, finally, we are in that spot to be able to do that. We want to walk you through this morning what goes into that. As we talk about, and again, for Nick and Jenna, their situation is going to be very different, but the principles will be the same. And uh, the context that they're in obviously locationally and met method- the, the, the religious uh, system they're working among our people were completely animistic people they never heard of Islam they never heard of Hinduism uh, they, you know Buddhism none, none of the major religions of this planet had they ever even heard of they were animistic people they walked before the spirits, every large tree, every swamp, every waterfall, every river, every uh, mountain had its own spirit, and you learned how to walk in relation to the spirits around you and we had to master that worldview so that we could speak appropriately to them. It's not just language, it's cultural fluency also that, uh, man, capable gospel ambassadors are going to have to master. And so finally we were at that point, 1985, where do you start? Where do you even start? We'd lived among them at that point for six years. Uh, They were extremely eager to hear. Uh, About a year and a half before that, actually two years before that, uh, as I was moving toward fluency... We were at a funeral, and this, uh, this little boy came up to me at the end of the funeral time, and uh, he had asked me very pointedly, and you can all, your hearing always progresses more than your speaking ability. That's pretty common in language acquisition. This little boy, he looks at me, and he says, uh, what are you really here for? They'd seen the way we lived. Uh, they knew that we were studying diligently. We'd worked like crazy to build an airship. We were, Beth was doing medical work every day, What are you really here for? About eight years old. Where did this kid get that insight? And uh, I didn't know how to answer his question. All I could tell him was, well, we're not here to build an airstrip. He'd seen us do that. We're not here to do medical work. Beth was doing that every single day. In fact, we're not even here just to learn your language. Well, what are you here for? I didn't even know how to tell him, guys. I didn't even know how to tell him. And uh, as as time went by, uh, we were asked that question on a regular basis. Finally, uh, late 1984, uh, another man in the village died, and we were prepared to tell him. And uh, it's at a funeral. they got very philosophical times of funeral and uh, times of death. And uh, there was a group of guys there, and they asked me again, this group of uh, fellows, they said, Can you tell us now? Can you tell us now why you're here? I said, yeah, I can, but I'm not going to tell just you three guys. They're all from the same clan. Get somebody from every clan. And so they're like, no, oh, come on, he's going to tell us. He's gonna... It was a big deal. I was going to tell him. I had no idea. There was that much pent-up energy to, to find out that answer. And uh, so, <clears throat> so within a minute, uh, there's guys from all the clans over there. And so I said, OK, you want to know why we're here? Here's why we're here. We know where Faltosito went when he died. We know where he is right now. We know what he's going through. We know where your mothers and fathers went when they died. We know where your kids went when they died. We know where you're going to go when you die. We know where you're going to go. We know what you're going to go through. We know the name of the one who's made everything that you can see and everything you can't see. We know his name. We know what he wants out of you. That's what we've come here to tell you about. They were blown away. Nobody gave answers to those things. Those were big issue questions they didn't even contemplate. But when they did, they had no real answers to them. They liter- Folks, I'm not kidding you. They literally turned their back on me. They turned their back and blah, 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 talked among themselves. They turned back to me. They said, okay, if that's really the case, if you really know those things, what we want you to do is lay down right here, open your mouth, and we're going to take turns walking by you, spitting into your mouth. And that will enable you to learn our language even faster. Well, that had issues, okay? (laughs) They could see I wasn't quick on the uptake with that. They said, okay, okay, if you won't do that, then no more breaks. We used to fly out of the jungle once every six months, you know, we'd talk to our folks and turn on light switches in the guest house out there and do cool stuff. And they said, no more of that. You're staying here till you tell us. We're excited. And to see God getting them ready. Folks, the peoples that Nick and Jenna are going to now, and we had many churches praying for us, pray for them. We don't, none of us know where exactly they're going to locate, but pray that God would go before them and prepare the hearts of the people they're going to. Man, we felt that so seriously. <clears throat> Finally, the day came. We put up a big tarp in the village. Everybody hauled in a stump or a log. And uh, where do you begin? Bible teaching. You're going to share the gospel with people that have never heard of Jesus, Israel, Cain, Abel, the Bible. They are no literate people. None of them had held a pencil. These are Stone Age people. Where do you even start? Well, we felt like the first thing that we had to do was start by being honest with them. The first day of our Bible training program, of the gospel presentation, first thing that we had to do was be honest with them. Guys, uh, and and so we started off, guys, we've we've heard some of the rumors that are floating around the village. Uh, Some of you guys are saying things like this. If we listen to the missionaries talk, the sky will open up and food will rain down on us from the sky. Guys, we want you to know there's going to be no food raining down on anybody. If that's why you've come to listen, you know, then, then you're going to be very, very disappointed. Another one was this. If we listen to the missionaries talk, all of our skin will turn white like Brad's. Nope. Nobody's skin color is turning colors around here. If that's why you're coming, you're going to be very disappointed. We went through a few of the, the little rumors that were floating around there just in an attempt to start off with an honest platform. Guys, when we go overseas and we don't know their language and culture, do you have any idea what they're actually coming for? Those were rumors we heard about. Man, this is common. the uh, Next thing we had to do was to introduce the book that we're going to be talking out of. Now, they'd seen us read our Bible... Man, they'd seen us reading other books. This book here, man, and we, can't, we, had to, we had to get very, very basic with them. We had a whole pile over here. We had catalogs, we had novels, we had encyclopedias, we had, some, we had all kinds of books, and we, we gave them the story of books, how books come about. Men have ideas, they want to be funny, they want to tell the story, they want to teach us this, and there's a variety of books on a variety of reasons behind this, but this book is different. It does not contain the ideas of men. The creator one, He wanted men of the earth to understand what he values, what he's like, what he wants to see done. The creator one communicated to men, and God allowed, the creator one allowed these men to write down his thoughts. This does not contain the ideas of men. It's a different book. We acted that out. We do tons of skits in the time that we were teaching the Teddy people, and we acted out the story of inspiration. We took about 15 minutes on that, obviously, just, just touching the surface of this concept. We would go back and address that again and again and again. But trying to, again, from the very outset, transfer authority from us to God's word. Telling them that later on we're going to translate this for you so you can read it yourself. We'll probably get it wrong occasionally. You must learn to read and write so you can read God's word for yourself. That was the second thing we covered on the first day. Third thing we covered was there was a little bit of drama involved in this because they'd been asking about this for a while. We said, okay, we want to tell you... <clears throat> the name of the one that we've come to tell you about. His name is Goyabe, transliterated term. We had gone through many, many other of their spiritual names, and man, none of them were going to work. None of them were movable in the sense of all the baggage associated with those names. It was just going to be too much. And so we coined a new term, Goyabe. Goyabe is his name. And today we're just going to tell you three, three small things about him just to whet their appetites. Number one thing about Goyabe is this. <clears throat> Goyabe needs no food. Go, Yahweh needs no food. Uh, he doesn't eat. Uh, he's not like us. And, and they're, they're like pushing back on this one here big time. Like, what do you mean a spirit that doesn't eat? All of their spirits. And it's really important that we understand this. When we talk about animistic people, animistic people do not worship their spirits. They respect. They fear. They honor. Uh, they buy off. They appease. They, do all, they have all kinds of relationships with their spirits. But as far as like worshiping, in the sense that they are morally superior, uh-uh. They're more powerful beings. And one of the huge appetites that the Teddy Spirits had was food. Food is huge in a, in a context where food is very difficult to get. Goyabe needs no food. What? What are you talking about? Man, every spirit needs food. That's what they do. Another thing about Goyabe, he has spirit and spirit alone. That's why he needs no food. He has spirit and spirit alone. He's never turned into a dog, into a pig, into a waterfall, into a swamp, into a boy, a girl, a, a cat. He doesn't... He is spirit and spirit alone, oh, push back, push back on that one, man, their spirits are turning into animate and inanimate things inanimate things all the time, not Goyavi, he is spirit and spirit alone oh they 're trying to get their head around that. Another thing about goyavi he 's never raped a woman he 's never done this and this and this and this, and they have uh, the teddies are serial rapists. they take the little girls. Uh, Even up to that point in time, and at eight years old, they became public property. They would, the eight-year-old girls, be raped at will while they're eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Until twelve or thirteen, then somebody would take them off to be a a wife. Go, Yahweh's never done anything like that. Man, the pushback. What are you talking about? That's the bone of our spirits. That's what our spirits are completely about. You know, they have insatiable appetites for our women, and they give those appetites to us, and that's why we rape the women. We do the things that we do to the girls. You know that, Brad. I said, I know that about your spirits. Not Goliyabe. He's different. He's different. He's like no spirit you've ever heard of before. And so again, that, that first day of teaching, just giving them three little unrelated aspects of who he was, in a sense, trying to whet their appetites. There's one more individual we need to tell you about this morning. Man, they're hanging on this stuff. And guys, let me tell you, we'll, we'll get there. His name is Asotamo. You know him as Asotamo. We're going to tell you the backstory of Asotamo. Asotamo initially was made by Goyabe. And he had a different name. His name was called Lucifer. And they do have a guy, Asotamo, that's very transferable, very movable. And we we filled in the blanks as to how Asotamo came on the scene took about 15 minutes on all four of those topics. That was the first day of teaching. But we'd seen a miracle that day. The teddies have an attention span as of a gnat. Okay? Seriously, about eight minutes long is the longest their village meetings ever lasted before they broke up. They cannot sit still. We were terrified. Will they even be able to sit and process? They sat there for over an hour of teaching. This message, folks, it's riveting. It's like, nothing, like no, nothing that any other religion has. We're not out there propagating religion. But I'll tell you what, this thing makes sense with the universe that's out there. It makes sense internally. That was the first day of teaching. After that... <clears throat> And I'm not going to walk you through every day, believe me, we don't have time for that. But uh, we had to take four days because in our culture study, as I was progressing in understanding their language, I could ask and and process more of their culture, realizing that that we stumbled. We were at a level four... And language, that, that's a very high level of language before it began to hit us. That there's this other realm out there that we had not stumbled on in level 1, 2, and 3. And it was called the Waynos. And the Waynos were a race of supernatural Itedi people that lived on Etedi territory. They looked like Etedi people. They talked like the Etedis They had the same habits except they were superheroes. The, the Waynos could make and break the laws of nature. And because of the Waynos stories being eerily similar to the stories that we'll see in Genesis and Exodus... Plagues on their neighbors, rivers turning into blood, locusts coming in, things like that, that the Waynos did. we realized, oh my gosh, if we don't address this one in the front part, pretty soon they're going to be thinking, hey, the white man's got Waynos stories, we've got Waynos stories. It's all just wayno stories. We all know it's not really true. We had to ground this, and realizing that we had to take this book and ground it in its time and space historical reality. Here's where it happened, here's when it happened. We had to teach them how to read a map. That took us four days, so that they could, from a a very look down perspective on their village, the Eteti village, finally to where they could understand the world map, understand, I use that term loosely, and have some sense of the distance and the place where these stories took place. We cannot just be waving around our leather-bound Bible and somehow believe that, oh, they see it as authoritative. They have some sense of where it happened and when it happened. Uh, Guys, we battle the fairy tale syndrome in a lot of locations if we don't take the time to know their language and culture. What are you even up against? We are not teaching blank people, blank slates, Finally, okay, we got done with that in the first week. Finally, we're able to begin to teach them God's word. There's two principles that we're going to work through as we walk through the scriptures with them. And please understand this. We're not there to see individuals get saved. We're there to plant a church. There's a huge difference. We're laying foundations that they can actually grow from and reference. We're not there doing evangelism. We're church planting. This is a critical difference. So we're going to teach them chronologically. We're going to tell the story as God revealed the story in Scripture. Nothing fake or phony about it. This is the way it unrolls. This is the way we're going to unroll it to you guys. That was the first principle that's very commonly understood. So we're going to move from Genesis on. Of course, we're not going to go through every verse in the Old Testament. We can't do that. But the components that will make this story come alive to them, they have to hear those components. Jesus does not come on the scene without men. Thousands of years of God working among men. So, we're going to tell that story. We're going to move chronologically. We're also going to teach them comparatively. This is what your ancestors taught you, this is what God's word says. You choose. We lived among them for six years, they knew we cared for them. My wife had helped them give birth. I'd buried some of their fathers. Folks, when we teach comparatively like that, there's a couple things that already, just probably subconsciously already realized. When you're going to compare their worldview versus the biblical worldview, a couple things. One thing is, you better know their worldview so well that you can articulate it fairly. They're not going to push back. They're not going to feel like you're setting up a straw man just to knock down. You better know their worldview that well. It's a fair presentation, and they also better know this. This guy loved my dad. He's not putting my dad down. He's not here to make my dad look silly. Those years where we were hiking and hunting and living and traveling and starving and getting sick on the trail with them, those were leveraged into a capacity so that we could teach in this way. Airdropping missionaries in with a Bible message, this is still an offensive message. It crushes every man and every culture. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation before he started his three years of ministry. He knew it all. What was he doing? Gaining credibility. This, this message demands it. Unless we're going to pull back on the audacious claims and the judgments upon every man and every culture. If we, we want to do that, then we can airdrop in and sprinkle Bible gospelettes. But if we're going to actually see a church that warrants the name church, it's going to take time, it's an offensive message. So, with that in mind, we began to teach them through the book of Genesis. <laughs> Walking through the story of, of creation. Genesis 1-1, 1-2, and 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formed. We read that to them. We translated Genesis 1 through 6. We read those verses to them immediately we have a contest going on. Because the word of God says that in the beginning, God said there was morning and evening, day and night, and it was so and it was good from the first day. Well, every E. Teddy knows that when Omo, their creator being, first made the world, he made it eternally sunshine, what you and I would call 12 o'clock high, blast furnace hot. Omo did that because he was a capricious being. He loved to see men suffer. The E Teddy peoples, they could not even g- come close to the riverbank. They could not eat the food on the riverbank. They could not go down into the river and bathe and shoot fish. They could never do those things. <clears throat> they could hear it from inside the jungle. They could hear the river, sometimes getting glimpses. They could not get close to the riverbank. It was way too hot, and it gets hot as heck out there. They lived in the swamps. They lived where you only eat the deep, dark jungle food, the boring, bland food. Omo did that on purpose. And so we pose this question to him. Here's what Go Yahweh says about his first day of creation. We all know how Omo did it. Why do you think Omo did it like that? Why do you think God did it like that?
0: Blah, 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 blah,
1: blah. They, oh, they love to talk. Blah, 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 blah. We don't know. We don't know. I said, is it possible that, may, that maybe, maybe... Go, Yahweh wanted to be able to go down into the river and shoot fish himself. He was tired of eating the deep, dark jungle food, and he wanted to be able to shoot fish himself. Is that a possibility? Blah 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 blah, 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 blah. Yes, yes, yes. We all know what our spirits are like, man. When they, when we only give them offerings from the dark jungle food, the bland stuff, our kids get sick. We don't shoot pigs. Our crops don't come up. All. That's why I did it. Because yeah, that's what, all the spirits like the, the good food that goes on the riverbanks and the food that's in the river. Da 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 da. They go, they'll talk forever. So guys, guys. Guys, wait, you're forgetting something. Go Yahweh's spirit and spirit alone. He doesn't need food. Remember that? Talked about that last week. Oh, that's right. That's right. I walked them down rabbit trail after rabbit trail after rabbit trail for over two days. They were not going to get it. I said, guys, would you like me to tell you why Go Yahweh made it morning and evening day? Yes, yes, we'll never figure it out. Okay, here's why. He did it for you. He did it for you. He knew that you would enjoy the morning and the evening time. And they do. They love the morning and the evening. That's when they work. Twelve talk high. They don't do anything. He did it for you. He didn't need it. He didn't benefit. Didn't affect his status at all. He did it for you. The look on their faces. Went through the events of day number two, contrasting how the God of Scripture did things versus their stories. Day number three. You know the story. Day number three. God takes the water that's below and he makes an expanse in the middle. Okay? And then he takes the water that stayed below and he made dry ground. We've got a lot of dry ground here in Iowa, not as much as San Diego. Not a big deal to us. We've got ample dry ground in a land where swamp is everywhere and where Omo intentionally made it swamp everywhere because Omo loved for humans, human beings to be in an environment where in the swamps, if you shoot a pig, you can't track it. You can't build a house in the swamp. You can't build a garden in the swamp. You, nobody likes to work or walk in the swamps. Yeah, even people that live in swamps don't like living in swamps. Why did Goyave make tons of dry ground? And here's Omo making all this swamp. Why did Goyave do that? Put it to him. We're approaching the end of the second day, and I'm getting frustrated. We've been doing this for about two weeks now. God, are they ever going to get it? And I'm begging God, come on, guys, think. Think about the first day. Think about the second day. Why would Goyave make tons of dry ground for you guys? Again, this little kid, same kid, Baume, he says this. He looks up. He says, brenio. Brad, he did it for us, didn't he? Isn't that right? Yes! Yes! A thousand times yes, that's right! He did it for you! He didn't need it. He didn't benefit from having dry ground. He did it for you! Guys, from that, it seemed like from that day forward, wow, the excitement level as they came to the teaching time every time at 7 o'clock in the morning because it's cooler then, you can concentrate... Man, the excitement. This guy, this Goyabe, he's always on our side. And we walk through the events of creation, the, the different vines that they have, the different rocks that they have, the different trees that they have, the multiplicity of birds, the multiplicity of fish, all these different things, walking them through slowly. The first thing that the scriptures, that the word of God teaches us about God is this. I'm good. Look what I did. I'm a good God. I'm on the side of those who I've, who I've made in my image. I'm a, there's so much in there that we just kind of over... It's, it's almost background noise. So. But because the etetes and most of the world has never heard of the supreme deity who's good, that was the first thing we wanted our etetes to understand. We would never say that, that God is good. We taught the word of God. We let the word of God just mound up against them, building a case from their lips after three weeks... Oh, he's good. He's good. He's not like our spirits. His, uh, now I remember the day that we went to actually the birds, and we we we, uh, we had them shout out the names of the birds. We wrote them down. They can't read or write, but they like to be impressed by the the scribblings up there. And, and so we wrote them down there, asking him, "Why did God give you all those different kinds of birds?" He's good. He's not like our spirits. His hand doesn't stop here; it goes all the way around his neck, all the way down. That's the way he is. We don't have anybody like him. Wow, what a thrill to get to teach these guys! <clears throat> we uh, we did uh, we act, you know the story of uh, creation of Adam, and here we put Adam in the garden, taught the story very slowly, folks, it, 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 to teach in this way. And we had the capacity to do this for the attendees; it would take us. Seven months. Three months of the seven months of teaching were spent in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're planting a church. There needs to be a foundation of biblical truth. We introduced you know, the story of Adam, how he was you know, created, put in the Garden of Eden, and uh, we, we cut it off on a Friday. And uh, we, we just wanted the attendees to just kind of revel in this. And, and uh, man, he had all the food he could eat. He had a relationship with God. He had meaningful work. We said, guys, we want you to think about this over the weekend. Is there anything at all that Adam needed? Anything at all? Oh, no, we wish we could be Adam and have everything, you know, all the food he wanted. You know, God wasn't against him. Nature wasn't eating him up, you know, bugs and heat. Man, wish we could be Adam, blah, 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 blah. Came back again on Monday. <coughs> and... Uh, Started off with that. Guys, have you been thinking about that? We've been thinking about nothing but that. We wish we could be Adam. Adam had us so a good, blah, 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 blah. Finally, after a few minutes, quieted down. Guy sitting in the back, wannabe. Wannabe's, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, something like that. They don't know their ages. Wannabe says this very clearly, but adequately sound-wise. He says this, Brad, he had no woman. That's right! Right? he had no woman, the whole place a shudder just goes through the whole. he had no woman, we gotta have our woman we don't want to be of. it'd be terrible to be Adam nobody wants to be out. that'd be the worst in the world, gotta have the woman you know we gotta have the woman, I said that's right he had no woman Adam had no woman, so we all know what Adam did he went over here in one of the clumps of bamboo ripped out a new piece of bamboo tore down the bamboo, got a nice fresh edge, started to sh- th- shave down his thumbnail shavings Got some nice new thumbnail shavings, got it all wet in his armpit juice, took the, the wet thumbnail shavings, put it in the proper leaf, tied it with the proper vine, put it down into the fire, got it all hot and sticky and gooey, brought that hot, sticky, gooey thumbnail shavings over here to one of the young girl's houses, rubbed it up and down on the posts of the young girl's house. I'll try it. No! That is not what he did! You're not ready to share the gospel until you know how a person gets a woman. That's how Jesus taught. Jesus taught. He navigated seamlessly through all the normal events of life. We walk through the other ways. That they have three other ways that they get women. Let, brought them all up, chopped them all down. <laughs> They're like, so what did he do? What did he do? What did he do? Guys, would you like to know what Adam did? Yes, what did he do? we got to have a woman. Okay, listen carefully. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain to you what Adam did. Listen carefully. Here's what he did. He did nothing. He didn't even know he needed a woman. Go, Yahweh, look down from heaven. He said, it's not good that man's alone. I'm going to make him a woman. And he put Adam to sleep. Before Adam ever knew he had a need, he took a bone and he fashioned a woman. And he said, take her, Adam, she's yours. Bone your bone. Flesh your flesh. Take her. She's yours forevermore to be one with her. The place exploded. The place exploded. No blanking way. i got to scrub my language here. They have a triple X-rated, very creative or you know, language, linguistic ability. They come running up to shut down the tape recorder. They knew that. if, I, if the tape, We always tape the, the lessons. <clears throat> Guys, we never had to say God is good. Teach the word of God. It screams that at us. Reread Genesis 1 and 2 and just be impressed at the goodness of your God. He provided everything that mankind needed. He's on our side. Let's slow down sometimes and just revel and maybe put away our Theology 505 and just reread it again with fresh eyes. Man, what a privilege to get to teach these guys. He's good. Number one message of Scripture. He's a good God. He's a good God, he's on your side. Oh man, we had about six weeks of that, just letting them revel. Next thing that scripture reveals her critical component, God sees and punishes every single sin. We had Adam and Eve, we would introduced the garden, the prohibition against the tree of knowledge of good and evil, all of that. We're going to act the story out. We, we would always teach the story and then try to act out those that were act-outable. And uh, so this day here, we have uh, Adam uh, is Ed, my partner, his wife, e- Aggie is Eve. I'm Satan. We had a little uh, banana that was the fruit there. And uh, so we're going to act this out. And so Eve comes walking up one day, and she's, you know, oh, look at the. Look at the fruit. Man, it sure looks pretty. I sure would like to eat that fruit. i come slithering up. These teddies know about the prohibition. The day that you eat of it, you're going to die. Man, pins and needles. She's contemplating eating the fruit. I'm. Here. Oh, hey, Eve, checking out the fruit, are you? Let me tell you, not only does it look good, it tastes even better. You ate it and you didn't die? Die, shmai. Not only did I not die, I became just as smart as God. Go ahead, Eve, eat it, eat it. The tension is just thick. You're sure? I'll be okay? Eat it. Eat it. Finally, they can't keep quiet any longer. Don't do it, Eve! Don't do it! He's the father of death. He hates you. He hates us. He hates everybody. Eve, Eve, don't listen to them. They're just dumb jungle savages. Listen to me. Oh, the curse is raining down on me. <laughs> she reaches out, grabs the fruit, peels it, eats it. The curses switch from me to her. You blank, blank, blank. Oh, it was hard on her. <laughs> Turned and gave it to Adam. Death, physical death, spiritual death, second death. The teaching line, the story stopped them for three weeks. We taught them on death, the implications of the fall. The party of Genesis 1 and 2 was over. Now they're living, being born, and dying under God's judgment. Next, That was number two thing, of the four things of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God is good. God sees and punishes every single sin. Number three, the third thing, God accepts only blood. He accepts only blood. They went out and you know, tried, tried the fig leaves. Uh, God's, God had to kill an animal and put those fresh-skinned animal skins on them. We, we see blood substitution uh, you know, taught much more clearly as the scriptures goes on. But it is introduced there in the Garden of Eden. That's the third thing. And number four, God gave them hope. He gave them hope in the Garden. He said, I'm going to send somebody in Genesis 3.15 and he's going to get you out of your mess. The Asinos of tenta. And so those four things, they had to be clear on. There's a lot of other things that we hope they remember. But those four things would be the running themes as we taught them throughout the rest of the Old Testament. We did that. We went on. The next redemption analogy is right there in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. We taught the story of Cain, and we would move from the redemption analogy to redemption analogy. We taught the story of Cain, and then we acted it out. We got done acting it out, and as we're summarizing it, because the story is important, they need to know the historical story, they need to know the implications of the story, because it's going to be the implications of that story that help them unravel what Christ does on the cross. We taught the story, the meaning behind the story, as I'm summarizing it, there's two older guys over here, the MIT think tank of the Teddy Nation. That is Faux and Sudafe. Faux and Sudafe over here, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, because the bright guys, okay, what is it? What are you talking about? Pharaoh looks at me, and he says, my son, he's my father in the tribe, my son, if this is the way it is, if what Go, Go Yahweh wants is blood, we'll give him blood. We will cut up before we bury our dead people, before we throw dirt on them, we will cut open our dogs and our pigs, we will slice them open, and we will pour their blood on our dead people. If Go Yahweh wants blood, we'll give him blood. I said, guys, that's a great idea, but unfortunately, Go, Go Yahweh's not accepting the blood of dogs or pigs or any other animals anymore. That's not going to work. No way, that's not a good thing, that's a bad thing, what do we do now? Well, keep listening, keep listening, Made sure everybody understood that, as I'm over here talking to this group, the same two guys, blah, blah, okay, what is it now? Fo stands up, he looks at me, he says, my son, obviously, go, Yahweh is not one to be messed with. If what he wants is human blood, we'll give him human blood. We will split ourselves open again, as the boys do when they go through the men's initiation rites. We will split ourselves open again, and we will pump-spray our own blood over our dead people. He's obviously not one to be messed with. Guys, that's a great idea. That's very noble. But Goyab is not accepting human blood either. And besides that, foe, in the years I've been here, you've told me of five people that you were the first person to murder... And then you guys cannibalized him? In the years we've been here, I lost track counting the girls and women that you've raped. Your blood infuriates God. needs to be perfect blood. They're grasping at straws. They're doing what every man does. Trying to lessen the wrath of God through their minor tricks and and widgets and everything else. And our job as gospel communicators is to kick the slats out from under them to where they're lost and hopeless. Those are the people that Christ is meaningful to. Not the healthy, but those that see themselves as lost. We would go from that redemption analogy, the story of Noah, to the story of Abraham offering up Isaac. Story of the nation of Israel going down there into, into Egypt, and the blood on the doorpost. We know that's those redemption analogies, teaching, them. and obviously I'm racing here, taking time so they understood those stories and the meaning behind the story, so they would be reference points, foundational stories for when Christ is crucified on that cross. They could refer to that and know how they connect. nation of Israel going through the Red Sea into the land of Egypt, into the desert, and all of God's carefulness to them, giving them food and water and the pillar of fire by night, and cloud by night, all of God's good hand, and yet they're unrelenting, bickering, complaining. And finally, God says, I've had it. I've just had it with these people. And he sent in the snakes, and obviously we didn't tell every story. But the snakes, gods, in a sense, supreme judgment on them. The snakes killed off thousands of Israelites. Moses pleaded with God. God relented. He said to Moses, all right, gather the bronze together, fashion a serpent, and put it up on a pole, and whoever looks will live. We taught that story as a last redemption analogy. (coughs) We were going to introduce the Lord Jesus to him the next day. The next day, we're five months into the teaching at that point, folks. The next day came to the teaching area, and... uh, <clears throat> nobody's talking, nobody's looking up, nobody's joking around, there's no, nothing. I said, guys, what's going on? Is, is, is somebody dead? No, 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 it's not that. What's, somebody dying? No, no, no. Is there like some enemy village coming? No, it's not that. Guys, what is going on? I'm not going to teach until I know what's going on. I know something's going on. And finally, the, the village punk, his name was Utao, he always sat in the back. Utao stands up and he says, Brad, we've made a decision. We're done, we're done planting gardens. That's an unprecedented declaration. We're done planting gardens. That's suicide. You've got to have gardens. I said, guys, the worst anthropological question you can ask is why? But I asked it, why? And a place starts popping. What's the point of planting gardens? We've seen what God did to Adam, and he kicked him out of the garden. We saw what he did to Cain. He's a wanderer. We saw what he did to the people of Noah's day, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people who built the Tower of Babel. We saw what he did to the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Now we see what he did to his own people, Israel, punishing them for their sin. What's the point of planting gardens? We know our sin. We're dead men. God's going to come any day now and wipe us out, every man, woman, child. What's the point of planting gardens? We're never going to live to eat those gardens. It had taken five months of daily teaching God's word and they were hopeless finally. Man, I was hurting for them. But folks, we were ready to see the gospel begin to make sense to them. None of their animistic tricks, none of their amulets, none of their armbands, none of their little offerings. They were done. They were hopeless. I said, guys, you're right. You're right. You're in a bad situation right now. Finally, you understand that. If any of you die today, tonight, it's not going to be good. It isn't, I I won't lie to you. But guys, this focus that you have right now on what's the judgment, that is true. But remember, remember, remember. Come on, we did not come here just to tell you you're going to go to the place of fire and burn and cook and be punished. We came here to tell you about the Asinos of Haciamotenta. Keep listening to, to God's word. He didn't send us here just to tell you about that. There's hope. Keep listening. Keep listening. And kind of like a tribe of junior hires, you kind of got to fluff up their feathers a little bit, you know, and encourage them. And they're, like, and they're able to turn on a dive emotionally. Oh, right, you know, we're like, you know, we're like, oh, yeah. They get all twittery. And, uh, and the next day we were, we were able to introduce him to the one that God sent to get you out of your mess. His name is the Asimus of Who was that one? Go Yahweh had a son. We'd woven the plurality of God through the Old Testament. It wasn't a major issue, but it was a minor issue. But on that day there, the one God sent to get you out of your mess, he had a son. His name was Jesus. And we told the story of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus going down there into Bethlehem we focused absolutely we focused on things that would be meaningful elements to them how Jesus was born in a place where animals are born they like that none of them have been born under a roof they've all been born out in the middle of the jungle how Jesus was raised up there in Galilee they like that we made, the, we made these things uh, become meaningful to them Galilee. what's Galilee known for? the hail bellies up there their funky accents, those guys up there doing God knows what with sheep and everything else, you know, there's weird shepherds and all that stuff there. Yeah, those Galileans, they, they weren't well respected. The educated people, the decision makers of Israel were living down in Jerusalem, in Judea. That's where the influencers, the people had the levers of power at hand. Where did Jesus choose to live? and grow up up there in Galilee. That was meaningful to them. We told story after story. My partner, Ed, he was always Jesus. And when he would come to the a teaching setting wearing the Jesus robes, and just big smiles on their face, because this is the guy that's going to get us out of our mess. They knew it wasn't Ed. But we talked about Jesus feeding the thousands, raising the dead, healing the blind, touching the lepers. Just doing We told story after story, acted out story after story. Ed was always Jesus. Our wives were always the disciples. I was always a Pharisee or a scribe or Sadducee or something like that. It felt like I was being typecast. And, uh, and, and, it was just, and it, just to see them enlivened again after the Old Testament death song of judgment. Here's our guy. He's going to get us out of our mess. Story after story. I remember one night I was walking out of uh, one of the family homes. He had family homes. Then they had uh, single houses, men's houses. And in that men's house, I had been in that house countless times, hearing stories. Of, they'd go off for a week. They'd take a girl to the jungle and rape her. They'd try to do it for a week, and they'd wear a girl out much earlier than that. And they'd talk about raping these girls, like you and I would talk about tearing apart a carburetor. I stu- and They didn't know I was out there. But I was walking through the village, and here's that in one particular men's house. It was a rowdy group of guys, typically. And a lot of them were coming to the teaching. And, I, and as I approached the house to walk past it and go on to my house, uh, I heard voices in there, and I just, you know, I knew some of the guys were listening to the teaching, and I heard, you know, heard the name of Jesus. I heard the current story. You know, I think he touched a leper or something like that. And I stood there, and guys, I couldn't believe what I was hearing coming out of that house. They didn't know I was there. Man, just think if Jesus was here. He'd be able to touch your foot, Wemo, and you could run like the rest of us. Wemo. If you sue, just think of Jesus. Was here, I bet you he could touch your eye. You'd have both eyes. We have a lot of guys with their eyes shot up. I'll bet you if Jesus is here, none of our kids would go to bed hungry tonight. That's the first time I ever knew how hard it was for these brutal men to hear their kids crying themselves to sleep because they're hungry. All the time. All the time. If Jesus is here, I'll bet you none of our kids would be crying tonight. Then somebody had the audacity to throw with this one out. I'll bet you if Jesus was here, our wives would talk to us. They can't figure out why their wives don't like them, why their wives don't talk to them. They live as brutes um, man, I'll tell you what, I, I, had to, I had to move on. Man, I, I realized man, they're falling in love with the Lord Jesus and they didn't even know he died for them. We have a wonderful Savior to present to the world. What a message we have. It's not theology. It's the God of the, the, God of the universe who sent his son and he wants to be known and worshipped among every tongue, tribe, and nation. And, he, and then he gives us the privilege of having a part in that. What else do you want to live for? Seriously. Because this you'll take into eternity. I had a part in spreading your name. Everything else will be distant, distant, meaningless, in fact. Man, I, I just had to walk away, man. We, we were blown away. I, what God was doing through his word, through his word, wasn't because of creative missionaries. Oh, please, please. Not even the case. They'd seen us fight. They'd seen me hit my kids in anger. They'd seen us live life. They knew that, man, our, our lifestyle, not, man, it was the story of the word of God. This one and his son, the Lord Jesus. We began to tell them we've only got two more weeks of teaching. Oh, they're getting excited. They know Jesus is going to get them out of their mess. One more week, you know, about a week and a half of teaching. Oh, yes. Then the Sanhedrin, as the story went on, the Sanhedrin put a price on Jesus' head. 30 pieces of silver. Man, yeah, we're going to kill this guy. We're tired of all the instigating that he's doing. We're going to kill him. 30 pieces of silver. We made that crystal clear to the teddies that the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers hated Jesus. Their response was, oh, yeah, they're going to kill God. We don't think so. Oh, they're going to kill God. That, that, that was a little phrase they would chant around, they're going to kill God. He raises dead people. He raises dead people. They're gonna, he raises dead people. The, the, the lunacy of the Sanhedrin, of course, they didn't know how the story worked out. We, one more week of teaching, we brought Jesus down from Galilee, down into Nazareth, Bethany, doing day trips in and out of Bethany. Uh, we walked through some of the speeches that Jesus gave. We've only got four more days of teaching, three more days of teaching. They're getting so excited. Jesus is going to just settle this thing. He's going to put all of these rabble rousers down, all of his opponents. He's going to slay. Oh, they knew how this story was going to end. Two more days of teaching. We, <clears throat> we did that. A lot of acting in this. We did the Last Supper. Jesus going up into Gethsemane. And he gets arrested. We took off our robes and I stood up. We, we'd always t- act and then narrate, act and narrate. I said, guys, tomorrow's the last day of teaching. Tomorrow's the last day of teaching. If, in fact, <clears throat> tomorrow's the very last day of teaching. And all of this stuff we've taught you for all these months, if you don't understand what you see in here tomorrow... None of this other is going to help you a bit. And so you know what? One of the things we're going to encourage you to do, we've never done this before, we're going to encourage you, you ask God Yahweh that he would open up your minds and your ears. We never opened or closed in prayer. We never did Christian worship songs. We did not want to create a religious atmosphere where somehow they could get the impression that we're, we're maybe lessening God's wrath on us. They needed to know the wrath of God is absolutely undiminished by anything you can do. No songs, no prayers, no cool atmosphere, no Holy Spirit signs on the back of us on banners. Uh Uh-uh. We're not doing that. You are on your way to hell. Fast-tracking. Every one of you. That needed to be crystal clear to them. But that day there, the second to last day, we said, guys... We don't know if Goliath will hear your prayers. You've been shaking your fist at him. You've been going after the spirits of this world. You've been doing everything possible to offend him from the time you were born. Maybe he'll listen to you. Maybe he won't. We don't know. But you ask God today that he would open your minds and your ears. We would hear stories later on of guys spending hours on their face in the jungle pleading with God. We didn't know that that day. We didn't know that the next day. They just took that admonition. The next day, <clears throat> I would always come about 5 till 7. They would come at 7, 7, 10, 7, 15. It's hot. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I got there 5 to 7. Everybody's there. Could have cut the tension with a knife. Uh, churches that had been supporting us had been praying for the attendees, praying for this day. Of course, this was back when <clears throat> letters took three months to get in, get out. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, we, started off, we always started off with a review. And we, would do a, 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 we did a quick review of the previous events, <clears throat> long ago ones, uh, and then the more recent ones, always took five or ten minutes with that, and then we got right back into the story. Jesus being, <clears throat> Jesus being arrested, taken down into Jerusalem. Man, this is not the way the story is supposed to go. Man, Jesus is getting roughed up, taken to Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Man, all those different interrogations, the disrespect. The banging of the clubs on his head, the ripping of the robe, putting a new robe on, all the disrespect. Finally, Sanhedrin takes him down says, I take him down there to the Romans. Pilate, Herod, back to Pilate. The Jewish crowd, crucify him, crucify him. We had before this day introduced the topic of crucifixion, stocks, whips, all the implements of that day, any, so that we would not have to stop and, and reintroduce story, uh, elements of the story. Crucify him. What? Jesus being taken. And this was a rough day for Ed. Jesus being taken out of Pilate's area. We had the stocks there. We locked him in the stocks. And yeah, coming back here with the whip and whipping Jesus... Whipping Jesus. Now, we, didn't, we told the Utenes we didn't put metal, we didn't put bones, we didn't put pieces on the end. But we whipped Ed a few times. We had pre-ripped his robe. It busted open. We had put fake blood and some of Ed's real blood in there that day. Uh, stopped after a bit, narrated, took Jesus out of the stocks, put a cross on him, just like that day with the Lord Jesus. And as we walked over from the whipping area to Golgotha, narrated to the attendees what actually happened that day. This was just a little teeny visual to give it some substance. Threw the cross down. Threw Ed down on the cross. They are shocked. Nailed through his fingers here. The nails explained. Wrapped them up with vines. Had some attendees come and help me hoist them up. Chunked them down in the hole. Tightened it up with some sticks. Jesus hung there. Not a word. Not a word. I did a little narration. Then, we, then I got into my Roman soldier mode. Man, the swearing, the abuse, the different things. Uh, had a ladder, put the ladder up against the cross there, went up there, crushed down the crown of thorns on Ed's head. Real thorns, real Ed blood coming out. Said, Ed said the things that Jesus said. Then he hung his head and died. The air completely out of the room. I stood up again. I I took off my acting robe at that point. I said, guys, uh, that's it. That's it. If you don't understand what all that blood coming out of Jesus is about, nothing else that we can tell you is going to help you. But think back now. Think back. What was God teaching us through the coats of skin of the Garden of Eden? And we had taught that story clearly with an eye toward this day, focusing on the same elements that would be meaningful this day. What was He teaching us between the difference of Cain and Abel's offering? What was He teaching us through the story of Noah and the uh, ark and God making a way? What was He teaching us through Abraham and Isaac? I began to see lights going on. I didn't know what they were understanding, but I knew this, that they were starting to unravel some things. I took about two minutes per redemption analogy and retold just enough of them to where Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said, guys, think on those things and think of what you've seen here today. And when you understand what Jesus was doing, when you understand what that blood's about, you come up here and you tell us. You tell us. We did not want to tell them what to say. We didn't want to program them, hit the play button and, you know, shout or raise their hand, say a word, a phrase. We wanted to hear from their lips that they understood the gospel. I said, you come up here and you tell us when you understand. And I went over and sat down with Beth and Ed and Aggie, and we we were all praying. We didn't close our eyes. There was no sound coming up, but we were just praying. We didn't know what would happen, if anything would happen, you know. There's no book written on this stuff, how to do this. We sat there, Seemed like forever, it's probably less than 15 seconds. Saw a guy over here, and, and I'm looking at my wife and just praying. And uh, saw a guy moving, and that's it. He just stood up, he just stood there. And I'm thinking, is he gonna come up? Is he gonna start talking to us? Uh, what's gonna happen here? Is it, maybe he's gonna go to the jungle, take a leak. He just stood there, stood there, stood there. Finally, his name was Sabe. Finally, Sabe, and I'm slowly turning my head so I can look at him a little more directly. Sabe, he just goes like this. He says, ebio first time in the history of the universe an teddy has called a spirit father why father i get it that's the blood That's the blood we've been waiting for. That's the blood that pays for our sin. That's the blood that makes it so I don't have to cook and squirm in the fire below. You did it all. They have an awesome word for grace. We didn't deserve this. You did it all. You did it all. He stood up, and another one stood up, and another one stood up. It took us, honestly, I'll be straight up. It took us probably about 20 seconds to be able to decode what they were saying. They were shouting so loud, so excitedly. We're in tears. Got 80 Teddy guys, one woman standing there shouting, shouting, shouting. Did everybody get saved? No, absolutely not. Small minority. Small minority. Eight of them shouting. Finally, after a few minutes of shouting their way through the gospel... Somebody figured out, maybe we should tell the missionaries. Like, who cares about them? You know, they're just irrelevant. I guess we should tell them, you know? And so they start walking, then running up to him. Brad, don't you get it? Brad, don't you get it? That's the, Jesus is like the sheep. Jesus is kind of like what Isaac needed the sheep. Jesus is our sheep. Don't you get it, Brad? Don't you get it? And I wanted to say, like, guys, I taught you that like two weeks ago. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're into it. We stood there in the village in the blazing sunshine. It's now about 9 o'clock, and it's hotter than the surface of the sun. And heard story after story after story. Those eight and others and others. We went back to the house after an hour. That day, um, 22 people articulated with great clarity. Folks, I would put their ability to lay out the plan of salvation, historically what God did and what it meant and how their sins have been forgiven, not because of anything of them. I believed, I said, I prayed. I mm, 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 mm. Jesus did it all. We sang that here. They understand that the capacity of them to articulate the gospel blew us away. They, they uh, <clears throat> later in the afternoon uh, they said, "Brad, we we want to we do, we want to do chance to Jesus tonight." This is the first E-Teddy believers, and I'm like, all, I'm shuddering because being saved does not mean you have a church. They know nothing of the Christian life. Not a zip, squat. It's a vacuum. It's on a negative. It's not like they're at a one. They're on a negative ten. And, I, and, and so I know what their chants to the spirits are like. But they want to chant to Jesus. Now we want to chant to Jesus. And so, yeah, okay, sure, let's do, let's do chants to Jesus. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, so the follow, and that day, <laughs> we're the children of God, they're the children of Satan. That's the term they coined that day. Okay, so the children of God have now become a moral force in the universe. Okay, and they have kicked out the children of Satan from the biggest house in the Teddy Village. This does not, like, go from here to the middle. It goes way over here, swings for a while. They kick out all the non-believers from the biggest house in the village because they're going to do chance to Jesus. So here we go. We're going to do chance to Jesus, the first worship service among the Teddy people. Jesus, 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 God, 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 you're better than doing this to a woman. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Jesus, 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 God, 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 you're better than this part of the woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sitting there listening and thinking, oh my gosh, we have such a long ways to go here. (laughs) Took seven years living among them to see them understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Man, new life, faith, brothers and sisters that you'll meet someday. It would take 13 more years. To see those believers taught to become the people of God, to where their identity in the Lord Jesus surpasses their tribal clan, their family secondary, clan secondary, nationality, New Guineans secondary. We're followers of Jesus first. That would take 13 years. You don't have a church until you have that. You don't have a church until you have that. And so our job as church planners would take a little bit longer than that. Um, I'd love to talk with any of you guys this afternoon. Want to be more of a part of that. There are 3,100 language groups needing exactly that. The dynamics, the situation, the location, all are going to change. The principles of planting a church, the time frames that I know Nick and Jenna are like, yeah, that's what it's going to take. They know that. Guys, you have some heroes living among you here. There's more here that want to, their lives to count for the Lord Jesus. Some of you are uh, uh, giftings-wise, health-wise. You, know, you can't be out there. We get that. It takes a church here to send people. Live sacrificially. Raise your kids in this way. Dedicate them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Move into smaller homes. Drive cars longer. May someday the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be known for not even having the term retirement in our vocabulary. We work till we drop. Because there are 3,100 language groups on this planet that need what you and I have had for so long. Thanks for letting me talk to you. Let's pray and I'll be done.